What's up, everybody? It's Thursday, and that means another episode of Chasing Birdies. Ryan Bashauer here with my man, JP. What's up, everyone? Exciting week. Hope everybody enjoyed the banter session. It's always fun to talk to the boys, eh? I know, bud. I know. We, we, we got a lot of good feedback on that one. It's nice letting people look into our life a little bit, you know? Right, right. I'm sorry, guys. We're not doing this one first. I'm on the road. But we have exciting one this week with Kelly O'Donnell, the director of golf from Nemecolin. I'll tell you what, he's got stories for days. He was with Ben Hogan for, for 10 years, working by his side. And man, it's just dynamite stories. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, Kelly, getting to know him a little more, he's got a big uh, big job up there at Nemecolin, taking care of the golf course, the operations and whatnot. Well, I'm trying to get you to the range picker job. So, Hey, I would love to take that job, man. Believe me, I, I would trade everything in right now, maybe to, to just pick the range up there. It's beautiful. Yeah, smoke a cigar, pick the range, hang out with Kelly O'Donnell afterwards. Life's good. And please, everyone, make sure you go check out com. Beautiful. We'll get into it with Kelly, but go check it out for yourself. And let's roll it right over to Kelly O'Donnell all the way from Texas. Texas, living in Farmington, Pennsylvania. You guys enjoy this episode with Kelly O'Donnell, and we'll check you out later. As you all know by now, Chasing Birdies is proud to be partners with Holderness and Bourne. Check them out online at hbgolf.com. Holderness and Bourne makes fabulous pieces that help you look good on the course, even if your game is not up to par. Check out their new arrivals now for this golf season. Also, head on over to chasingbirdies.com to get some custom Chasing Birdie gear from Holderness and Bourne. We'll continue to drop these pieces through every season. That's chasingbirdies.com. And Holderness and Born at hbgolf.com. So here we are with another roundtable discussion on chasing birdies. Well, again, not live, but yes. But he, he's in person. Our guest today <laughs> is in person. You can hear him laughing at us. Kelly O'Donnell here from Nemecolon, director of golf. Can't thank you enough for giving us your time. We know it's valuable, so... Welcome on to the show. How you doing, Kelly? I'm doing great. You know, it's been months. I've been waiting daily to be on the show for months. It's not easy. To Since get I on first here. got here in February. So, you know. Well. I guess uh, everybody else bowed out and you had an open time for me. So, <laughs> I happened to be here. So, it's perfect. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's funny because there is a management aspect to setting up these episodes. And so, we kind of stagger recording as much as we can. Sure in a short period of time. So we were like, Hey, we're going to be recording now. So let's get Kelly on the lineup. Yeah. So here we are. And there's a sponsor of chase and birdies, Nemecolon. So this all f- ties in with the mm-hmm. director of golf. And from what I hear, Kelly has some stories. Yeah. Some of them are true. Some of them aren't. <laughs> we'll, we'll try to, <laughs> what do we, we say do? earlier? As I get older, my stories get a lot better. Uh huh. The, yeah. the time, and, you time. know, more people, uh, die so they can't verify or deny what <laughs> oh, I say. I, so we've got friends like that, so don't that's worry. Not, that's not, yeah. I shouldn't have said that. But. They're still alive, too, but our friends are. <laughs> for that matter. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, you're in Farmington, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought, I right? Am. I would not have thought that. So, you know, been in the golf business a long time. I think I started an assistant golf pro in 1984, you know, mm-hmm. when most of us still weren't around yet or you know for those of us that were around back then you know I still say that I played my best golf when I had persimmon in my golf bag Mm. so Mm. I still I still miss those days and we'll get into where that game's gone from there but Uh you know I had the great opportunity to work for uh Mr. Ben Hogan you know I got Mm. to do that for a long time as well but uh and work for many other manufacturers gosh I helped start the Reed Lockhart Golf Company many years ago, which was Blades and mm-hmm. Persimmon Woods, and that didn't go very well, but we had a pretty good following for a while. And had I known, that was kind of the the test market to where we see golf now. It, there's a cool factor mm-hmm. that we've been searching and looking for that in golf for like a few decades because, you know, it was golfers aren't athletic and look at all the weird stuff they wear and it takes too long and it's too hard, but you know, you can see that, you know, like through your, your podcast and there's other ones and just there's great social media now. And mm-hmm. when we talk about everything that's happened the last 18 months with COVID, well, they should ask golfers. Golf was going to explode during this time because 
you're out on your own. You're you're outside. You're you're doing what you like best. You know, it's it can be golf can be very social, but it's really you, mm-hmm. your clubs, and your and the golf ball trying to get in the hole mm-hmm. ultimately. Right. And you share that passion with other people. And you know, we as we're getting more and more people into golf, which I love, you can't really share with a with a new person who hadn't played golf what the perfect shot feels like yeah. until they experience that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Then on the other end, you can't share the madness of how many people don't play anymore because they can't get it in the hole from three feet. Right. But I, I love where the game's going, you know, even through what's going on in our environment. Uh, you know, we're back to wearing masks here again at Nebicolon. But I still think there's there's a strong desire and there's a great opportunity for golf to really expand even further. Mm-hmm. Yeah, over the last 18 months, golf has really exploded. Um, and just golf clubs closed. You can't get anything right now no, because the can't. demand is so high right. and there's no product. So it's very difficult to get a new driver. It's taken eight to 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. So the demand of golf right now is very high, and people are spending more and more time outside, spending more and more money. And those are the people that are working from home. Hey, I'll shoot over and play nine holes at the mm-hmm. club. They think I'm working, whatever. Right. So yeah. golf is in a great, great spot right now. And I think we're going upwards. If we can get deliveries. You know, they set records in club sales last July and August. You know, eight, what was it? Eight and a half billion in July and then about 11 billion in August. Oh, my God. Well, I don't think any of those companies realized, well, we, we have to fill in the pipeline again. Yeah. And so that's where we are now. You can't find grips. You can't find shafts. Custom orders are just so hard to get. So, it, Well, you look at one, there's one golf company in particular. They are so backed up on their current order, and they're launching new stuff over the next two weeks. And it's like, wait a minute. You haven't even fulfilled these orders over here. Right. But you're releasing all this new stuff over here. Yeah. It's a little bit wild how the golf industry does work, but somehow it works out. Mm-hmm. So The problem is that when you start golfing, especially if you're not a good golfer, but you, you become addicted in a way. Mm-hmm. And so you want it more, want it more, want it more. The next thing you know, it's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go buy a new set of clubs. So that's, you know, that in itself has probably helped with the demand. You know, these people sitting around not having to work as regularly in terms of going to work. and But the component of being outside, hey, golf's an outside game, no contact. So... It's been great for golf. I mean, we we had John Ashworth on the show earlier this year, and he has that little Goat Hill Park over there outside of San Diego. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Go, That's a cool place. I, I don't know, 40-some thousand rounds last year during COVID. I mean, mm-hmm. blew it out. Yeah. But what's happening up here at Nemecal? And we, I, I know we chatted a little bit about uh, Mystic Rock, which, you know, for the, the listeners out there, Mystic Rock is the, uh, the Pete Dye design here at Nemecolon. They're both stable. Pete Dye, bud. I know. All right. Hosted the 84 Lumber Classic. So tell us a little bit about some of the course changes that um, that Mystic just underwent. Well, you know, this uh, this was all lined up before I got here in February, so it was really neat to mm. just come in and see the strategy and the plan. And Tim Liddy, you know, who was with Pete Dye for many years as a partner, has kind of been overseeing everything that's happened and uh, really smart. I mm. mean, He'd always like to be, as we say, he was notorious in being diabolical, you know. <laughs> His courses are always played hard, but he was always a visual, you know, he, yeah, was, he wanted to mess yep. with you visually all mm-hmm. the time, which which still happens out there. But, you know, we needed to modernize. You see a lot of the golf courses now going back to the old. I love that they're going back to the traditional courses, mm-hmm. you know, like a Ross or a Rainer or McDonald where they have, you know, just sand in the bottom of the bunkers. You get rid of the flashing up the sides, which you can't maintain anyway. Mm-hmm. And I like that we came in here uh, with the company that did all the work and really went to that old traditional look, and we just eliminated a lot of the weird, really long finger bunkers that were mm-hmm. hard to maintain as well, and the the little small pot bunkers where you can't even stand in there. And you're Seven, 17. Yeah, that, that, I right. really like that change yeah. uh, that they made on 17. Yeah, so just really smart hole to hole. You know, we don't tell many of the members, but we added some bunkers too. <laughs> well, but I think they're more they're, they're more aiming points. Mm-hmm. You know, bunkers are not only you know penal in their design, but they're strategic. Right. 
and where you want to aim off of. Now, when I aim at them, I still go in them. <laughs> you know, even try try to work it off of there. It doesn't always work out yeah. that way. But there's some really cool, you know, when I take people out there to show them exactly what happened, I always go out the hole 15, the long par mm-hmm. four. And it's amazing because when you stand on the tee, it looks like one bunker on the left-hand side all the way to the green. Mm-hmm. But it's like an infinity pool. There's actually four bunkers down that side. So visually, you're going, I can't go over there. And then more often than not, you might pull one, and you're going to be in the fairway because there's quite a bit of an expanse from one bunker to the other. And I think that's just so cool visually off the tee. So the, there's a lot of little nuances in the bunkering that they did. So those like are that. new bunkers on 15. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. it's amazing. And that's a great hole. That stretch coming down is a great I, hole. I love the bunker that they put on three in the right rough. Oh, yeah. Because that's the, you know, for players playing from the white, blue, or blacks, your miss is to, to go right, and it kicks off the, the rough into the fairway. It becomes like a catch basin. Yeah. So now they put a bunker right there in the middle where your mm-hmm. landing point is, and now you, you can't just blow it right and be fine. On the par three? Par four. Four. Oh, okay. I thought you said three. I did say three. Four. Okay, but... Yeah. You, you always got to do this. No, so I was in my head going, wait, on, they put a bunker on a par three. And I just. That's all right. It was like on Shepherds, <laughs> I always think five is six and vice versa. Yeah. I can't ever. Once I get it there, I'm like, uh, I'm yeah. lost. You're either in or out. I but, guess. You know, the probably the most dramatic one I think is great is 18 as well. Oh. Because, you know, 18 had that cross bunker, which really, there was just no place for you to go except hard left. And then you had a really long iron fairway wood hybrid into the green mm-hmm. but now completely turn that bunker where it it faces and goes more in line with the green and so we gain like 25 yards of fairway on the right hand right. side which is huge and now yeah. there's a couple of bunkers right instead of just one yeah, so, yeah. was there four or five now there's four or five. Yeah, i think there's four like the two little ones that were at the green mm-hmm. they expanded those all the way back down in the rough on the right hand side that's awesome I, i'm looking forward to getting out there and playing like i told you earlier it's been it's been years 18 still hard but it's oh it's 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 hard it's just it's uh-huh. more favorable to a wider margin of golfers now no question so you came here in february of 2021 and you came from Texas, correct? Right. And where, where about in Texas? Austin. Austin. I was in Austin, Texas for probably the last 20 years of my career. Okay. Yeah. That is a change in itself. Not even speaking golf course. I mean, you're talking about Austin, Texas to Fayette County, Pennsylvania. He probably didn't own a vest in uh, No Austin. winters. I mean, I mean, there is nothing. Just golf shirts. We have winter down there for like two weeks. Yeah, and it goes into like the 40s. Right. You're up here, and this place is second to none. Um, so, it is. You know, I'm sure you're you know, ecstatic about, about being here. So it'll be interesting to see come this fall and into December and January that you missed last year to see this is your first year. Well, I was shoveling snow. In March. And my car out for the first time uh-huh. ever in February, March. I was like, yeah, what am I doing here? Right. So but I, I got so skilled with a snow shovel, I'm trying to figure out how to make that into some kind of swing <laughs> trainer. I think we can do that. Work on the core. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like it. Don't break your wrist completely. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So your role here, I mean, you oversee all, you know, director of golf. I mean, you're not, you're not giving any instruction. You're more or less, you know, the main contact personnel overseeing the whole golf operation. Is that correct? You know, being a golf pro's always fed me in that there's so many different things that you're responsible for and do. Mm-hmm. And I get really bored easily. Yeah. You know, to where, you know, like right in the middle of this, I might just leave. <laughs> I, I won't because it's going to be fun. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, but, but you know, like, like in golf, I'm good for like 12 holes. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm like. That's it. Yeah. Really? But, you know, like being a golf pro, I like messing around the shop, doing merchandising, stuff like that. But then I also like getting out, Mm -hmm. driving around, talking to the guests, talking to the members. I like doing that. And I'll go play a few holes with them. But I also like, you know, I always operate. I've always managed by walking around. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even from day one, the guys outside said, what are you doing down here in the cart barn? I said, well, 
I want to see how you guys operate. Yeah. So I'm going to wash carts with you. I mean, I just like doing all of that. This year, I was the first one to pick the range. Wow. I want to make sure the machinery works, and you want to see mm-hmm. how everything works. So I've always liked doing that. That's awesome. That's commendable. But I don't like doing that every day. No. Because I have people for that. <laughs> but I just like, you know. So you, I'm always, Yeah, that's the way I've always, always learned. Managed. That's the way I like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, good. it's good, and there's a lot to learn up here. There's so much to learn up here. You know, just when you look at the agronomy side of things, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, I just can't believe when you look at the bunker renovation how quickly the grass responds to, you know, the sod lays down, and in a week the seams are gone, and it's uh-huh. like nothing happened there. Yeah. That, in yeah. Texas it takes a long time. Yeah, I can see that. You had mentioned, um, you know, I'm really excited for this part of this conversation. The uh, good stuff. You had mentioned uh, Mr. Ben Hogan, who is my all-time favorite golfer. You know, the Hawk. You looked at the photos Jules Alexander took right. of him. That was the well-known photographer that followed Ben Hogan around. And, and his photos went for lots and lots of money when Jules passed away recently. Yep. How did you get involved with Hen Bogan? <laughs> right? <laughs> Henny Bogan, yeah. yeah. Henny Bogan. Uh, you know, it was just happenstance. I had happened to be working at uh, Mira Vista Country Club in Fort Worth as first assistant there. And uh, Lindy Miller, who was on the tour for many, many years, was the club pro. And I learned a lot from Lindy as well. I mean, that guy, he could go. In fact, he did. You know, when the Ben Hogan tour was, you know, what Corn Ferry was. Mm-hmm. Now, that was when I was working at Hogan was, you know, the Ben Hogan tour was it. Mm-hmm. kind of the the practice ground to get to the regular tour. Well, I can still remember this is how great Lindy was as a player. They were going to have an event in Amarillo, and I still remember this. He hadn't played or touched a club in like two weeks, and he just took our club champion as his caddy, went up to Amarillo and beat all those guys and won it. Wow. And comes back and is giving lessons and talked to people. It's like, no big deal. Just went up there and shot 64, yeah. 66, 64. Beat everybody. It's pretty yeah. incredible. Yeah. But got to be good friends with uh, the sales rep for Hogan, and he said, you know, there's an opportunity inside to be a product manager. Would you like to interview for that? I'm like, yeah, I mean, why not? So I went in and and wound up getting the job, and it still cracks me up because, you know, I'm a 28-year-old golf pro at the time, and they said, okay, you're responsible for $41 million in forecasting club sales and golf balls. I'm like, oh, 41 oh, wow. million. Okay. Right sure. out the gate. I got a lot of experience with that. <laughs> None whatsoever. Right. Yeah. And, you know, so that was fun. I worked with sales and marketing and, and uh, got to be a part of, you know, designing and, and meeting the, you know, all the PGA Tour players who came in. You know, in 1992, we had, uh, gosh, we, you know, we had Mark Brooks. We had Justin Leonard. We had um, Doug Sewell. We just had a lot of really good players. And I still remember this in that the Apex Iron had more wins than any other year, and it was the worst year for Apex sales. Wow. Just because, you know, the mystique of Mr. Hogan. Right. You know, he he called his clubs jewelry, and they looked like jewelry for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his name was on the product. And they still go to when he opened the company, the first rollout of his irons, he didn't like them, so he scrapped like $100,000 worth of irons because they, they had his name on it. We're not going to produce this. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do it. And you know, so that 100000 back in the mid-50s would be like millions today. Yeah. Just scrapping it, we're starting over. And that just really spoke to who I think, you know, Ben Hogan was. That's probably the highlight is, you know, I got to see Mr. Hogan every day. If you wanted to autograph, it had to go through me, and I'd, I'd take it over to his uh, two secretaries, Sharon and Doxie, and they basically just, they had stacks of one-iron posters and books behind their desks, and it, it got to be when I, you know, worked for Mr. Hogan, he came in immaculate every day, coat and tie, gray suit, but all he did really was, you know, answer some email not email but answered letters phone calls and just basically wrote his name on posters that's all he did and he was there 8 to 12 30 monday through friday 
and then he'd go to Shady Oaks and have lunch and sit at a big round table by for himself, like 12 right? people by himself. He loved dogs and children. Yep. Uh, I mean, you re- again, I've read every single book of right. Ben Hogan, yeah. and the guy was as hard to get close to as it got, but when you got close to him, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, he was as sweet and caring right. of a man yeah. as it was. That's why, you know, I've got, I've got a lot of Hogan memorabilia and, and a couple of my favorite prints, photographs of him in my office are where he's smiling because a lot of people just talk about how he's, you know, the, the English call him the weed ice man. And, you know, the, well, he was, that was his workplace. He was working. Mm-hmm. But he could also be very funny, you know, like all the letters written that he'd write to friends and he'd sign it, Henny Bogan. He would mm-hmm. do that all the time. So he had a he had a little humor to him. He had a little personality from, personality. from the the, mm-hmm. the way that the books portray him. He Again, had a lot why. of personality. You know, I think probably you know probably the greatest detriment to him was this is just my observation, but you know he was best friends with Byron Nelson, mm. and Byron Nelson was very outgoing. And you know, I remember meeting him once at the Byron Nelson of tournament in Dallas and then I saw him the next year and he remembered my name he remembered everybody's name and Mm. that's part of the reason why the the Nelson was such a powerful event even though the golf course was not the greatest because everyone wanted to go meet him after the round and he did he you saw him on tv sitting at 18 he's gracious he's very open and so Hogan's association you know how people are they just assumed that Hogan would be just like Nelson, but they're just polar opposites. Mm-hmm. Different upbringing, everything, and just, I would say he was an introvert, but I think that drove to his desire, and he loved golf because mm-hmm. he had to figure it out himself. He didn't need anybody's help. He didn't need any of that. You know, they say a lot of it came from the way that Hogan was throughout his life is that, Unfortunately, when he was, what, three or four years old, he walked in and uh, his father had killed himself in front of Hogan. Right. Um, took his own life, and, and they said that that really, really affected Ben. Absolutely. Which, understandably so, yeah. and they said that, that kind of just never left him, even through his adulthood, and that's kind of why he just, yeah. hey, I'm not standoffish, but I'm all right by myself over here type thing, well, right? Well, and, you know, he, you know, there's all sorts of stories, and, you know, I can verify a few of them, you know, like uh, I think it was Gary Player who first came up uh, to meet him um, and he wanted to find out, you know, Mr. Mr. Hogan, how do you, uh, how do you prepare for majors? What do you do? What do you think I should do? And he goes, well, uh, what clubs do you play? And he goes, well, I play Dunlop Maxfly. Mr. Hogan says, well, maybe you should go ask Mr. Dunlop Maxfly. Oh. <laughs> So, that, so he always had things he always like had an that answer, to right? Uh-huh. To something, yeah. right? Yeah, I remember when uh, you know Nick Faldo was you know number one in the world, and I think it was during Colonial, and he came out, and I still remember meeting Nick Faldo. Nick Faldo, you know, he's six three, six four, number one in the world. He comes into our big lobby, and I meet him there, and he's got the you know the fundamentals book in his hand, and he's visibly shaking that book. I mean, he's Nick Faldo. That's but he's getting ready to go see who I called the Pope of Golf, yeah. Ben Hogan, in that back office. Mm. And then, you know, the legendary story out of that meeting was uh, Nick Faldo, again, you know, preparing for majors, and he says, Mr. Hogan, how do I, how do I win majors? What do I need to do? And Hogan was always so, what scared people, too, is he would always take in what you're asking him. Mm-hmm. And he's processing, but there there can be just scary silence. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with me, he'd do it a couple of times. And, mm. it, and just in my brain, I'm thinking, well, he's processing. Is this a four-iron? Same thing with his golf game. But he just, he just stared right through Nick Faldo, and then he finally said, the way to win majors, son, is you shoot one, sh- one shot less than everybody else. <laughs> wow. Which That's to me so- is... Mm-hmm. You just figure it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you do better than everybody else. You know, Hogan was the first guy to ever practice. Mm-hmm. Nobody practiced at that time. That's what I was going to ask you, his work. That's the only thing. thing that I never saw with him is I never saw him hit balls, and I wish I did. I was just going to ask you because yeah, they that's say. That's the only thing 
about Mr. Hogan, I never got to see. Um, you know, there's 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 a lot of funny stories. You know, another thing that he did, and he started at the British Open, which no players at that time. You know, you're talking about the fifties. He uh, the caddy couldn't believe what he was doing, but he started on 18 green and walked the course backwards mm. to see where he wanted his landing points to be. Nobody did that before, so he Ahead was of his time. you know not only precision but just what he was thinking about and how he went about his business on a golf course was pretty uncanny and unti- you know yeah out of the times yeah really you think about him back in the 50s and 60s he was hitting it with persimmons and wound golf balls 270 right. 275 imagine what the technology is you know my dad always says if if ben hogan watched tiger hit balls he would be rolling in his grave just because he is all over the map yeah. And you, Ben Hogan was just, I mean, they say that his caddy would literally one hop, his caddy could just stand there and he'd one hop drivers. Yeah. Caddy would catch it, throw it in the bag. He barely had to move right. with a driver. That consistent. Again, with persimmon, with persimmon and wound golf balls, he was that long and that str- that's what people don't understand. And you would understand it better than anybody is how strong he really was. He was not, yeah, he was like 5'7", five, 5'8", five, but his hands were huge. You know, before there were reminders, he would put a coat hanger or a big rope cord in the back. And what was crazy, there's only one person I've seen whose clubs are as crazy as his, and that's Bubba Watson, is he had the reminder on there, so all his clubs were really open. I mean, wide open. Mm-hmm. Because I, I remember swinging one of his drivers and just holding it, and the face is going way out to the right. Because wow. he knew he had just come through and just he could go as hard as he wanted through, through the his ball. right side, and yeah. it's not going to go over here. Because he fought a hook for his, most of his career, and he figured out how to get rid of that. Wow. So I was part of that was that. The other thing that fascinated me, when you look at the, the shaft flex scale, you know, at Hogan, three was regular. Four was stiff, and five was extra stiff. His were sevens. Not even on the chart. No. Extra, extra, extra. And the other thing he did, too, which other people, and even a lot of the tour players now do it with their wedges, is he had all the chrome taken off his clubs, too. <laughs> he, had it, he wanted raw steel, and he wanted it to rust up because mm-hmm. he felt like, he was going to get more spin off the ball with that, which a lot of guys still do with their wedges today. It's just so interesting to hear these stories. I mean, this goes back to the, you know, early times of golf and to be yeah. that, to be but able you, to But you hit on it as well that I always talk about. When you look at what they played golf with and, and how they won events and how they controlled their golf ball around the golf course with those clubs, it's unbelievable. That's what people don't understand is how talented those guys really were. And, again, the golf courses back then, you actually had to hit the shots. Yeah. Right? And I'm not saying that right now, but right now it's a little – I mean, you look at the U.S. Opens right now. Yep. Rough slow. Uh, yeah. You miss a fairway. It's not exactly punishing right now. It's not. Um, you look at Bryson DeChambeau. The guy hits it – yeah, he hits at 400 yards. He doesn't hit very many fairways no. because where he's hitting no. it is rough. Well, the grooves are a little bit deeper. The ball spins a little bit more. I mean, it's just there's so many more variables right now. And, again, back when you, you look at that's why I think I'm so interested in Ben Hogan. He's a mystique. Right. People don't realize that, how good he really was. And they didn't play for the money then. Right. They played for the events and the win. Right. I mean, um, and that's what people say, oh, Tiger Woods can come back like Ben Hogan did. I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think Tiger Woods is coming back. I don't either. Like Ben Hogan did. Yeah, and I, and, and I, I and mean, I I wish him the best, but gosh, I don't. I don't know how you do it because he's had a lot of previous injuries, mm-hmm, and that all right. adds up. I mean, who knows? But they've never said anything would happen to Tiger's back. And I mean, Hogan got hit by a tractor trailer. Fifty fifty four was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fifty four, and he won the U.S. Open in fifty six mm-hmm. at Marion. That's everybody remembers. That's the one iron shot on eighteen at Marion uh, yeah. that everyone has in their basement or whatever. So I just think that 
that back in the day was so cool. I mean, right. you look at Hogan, he was dressed to a T before fashion was even, I mean, he took right. pride in how Classic. he showed up. And mm-hmm. I just think that's so cool. So that photo that is extremely popular, probably the most popular mm-hmm. photo of Hogan teeing off there. What's the story behind that photo? Cause I know there's a story behind it where he told somebody. Well, I have in, this, the story from when I played in us junior amateur. Okay. Um, so I played in the U.S. Junior Amateur in 2003, and I don't know if I told you this story, but Columbia Country Club, older gentleman followed me around, uh, was a member at Columbia Country Club, and I think they said that he's played in every USGA event three times, this guy. Wow. So he follows me in the practice round after we're having lunch with this guy, and, and uh, he said, yeah, and he confirmed that, and he said, but what I'm really known for is in 1956, I was a kid standing at Marion, and uh, a camera arrested on my shoulder, and the guy, the photographer said, don't move, kid. And he took that and picture. And that was that photo, the one iron. Wow. So, really? again, might not be true, but it's a, it's a cool story that this yeah. older guy. Uh, There's a couple of cool things about that week was Hogan never carried a one iron. Never played never. with one. So he put it in the bag that week. So he put it in the bag that week, and he was, you know, another classic Hogan answer is they asked him, so to put the one iron in, what club did you take out? He took out the seven iron. Wow. And you look at the seven iron, when you look at any level of golfer, that's usually one of the favorites, or it's just because of the length and the loft of a seven iron, everybody's most comfortable Mm -hmm. with that club. And they said, Mr. Hogan, why'd you take seven iron out of your bag? And he, you know, gave him the look, and he says, well, because there's not a seven-iron shot on this golf course. Wow. <laughs> How about that? That's incredible. What's your most memorable memory with Mr. Hogan or your, you know, I guess your latest memory, you know, the last time, the last thing you remember? The one I tell everybody, which kind of speaks to who he was as a player and as an older gentleman and just, what he thought of himself is, you know, I went back there one time because the secretary's called and said he needs some help with some technology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I go in there and someone had sent him one of those TV VCRs, mm-hmm. you know, little one for his desk. And, you know, he said, I don't know how to use this. I don't know what to do with this. And so I went and said it. I'm just plugged it in. <laughs> said, here you go. He goes, huh, okay, great. <laughs> and then I'm getting ready to leave. He goes, Kelly, what do you think I do all day? I said, well, Mr. Hogan, you come in and you answer, you know, you do correspondence. You talk to people on the phone. He goes, yeah, I mean, that's, that's all I do. And I, and I sign my name on stuff. And uh, he goes, have you ever tried to sign your name on a golf ball? And I'm like, no, sir. And he goes, it's really hard. Why do people want that? <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to do. He goes, I'm an old has-been and this is all I do with my life. And I go, well, Mr. Hogan, you're, you're one of the greatest golfers of all time. And you know, I got the stare. And he goes, yeah, 50 effing years ago. <laughs> and he was serious. Oh, that's, that's a good one, man. That's crazy. That's, he, he, uh, I man. would go back there in his office when he wasn't there. Still get chills up and down my arm just going back there, but back just because of who he was, what he mm-hmm. commanded, mm-hmm. you know, all that respect he had. Mm-hmm. Now he he has kids still living, right? No, none. I didn't. They never had kids. Wow. So he doted on. He had a niece and nephew. Um, he took care of them, but he left a lot of money um, to University Christian Church, which was right by TCU. Mm-hmm. Because he made a lot of money in oil and gas as well mm-hmm. while he was doing that. And, you know, he only designed one golf course, Trophy Club, up uh, kind of in the Colony South Lake area. It's the only course he ever he ever designed. But, you know, again, something attributable to Ben Hogan <laughs> at the time, he felt like designing that club, he was going to be able to host TV events, so they built underground cabling for TV, never wow. been done before, which was never used because the golf course was never, never done that. But t- yeah, 
to his insight and whoever he was working with thought about doing that. It's just crazy the things that, that he would do. Well, Valerie, his wife, just passed. Didn't she just pass recently? In the last it's couple of years? probably been maybe just a little longer than yeah. that. But. but, yeah, they said that he, dogs and kids were like, he, he mm-hmm. would go out of his way for any of the, yeah. you know, either one. Uh, he always had his dog with him. Right. Pretty cool. And, again, you know, my favorite images of Hogan are him smoking cigarettes because he's just got that look. I mean, like, let's yeah. go. Mm-hmm. And uh, he ne- he didn't talk much to the other tour players, and I think part of that's that intimidation factor. He knew that he didn't have to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Well, he had no control over what they were doing, mm-hmm. which we all should take that into consideration too because, you know, look at all the players that play with Tiger and just got swept up into the crowds and everything else, and they were gone. Well, we're uh, uh, good friends with Bob Rotella, and, and Dr. Rotella was telling me a story that – uh, you're talking about Tiger and the, the Tiger effect, quote unquote. And Paul Azinger was leading after the second round of I forget what event, and, and he called Doctor Rotella saying, "You know what the hell? I'm leading, and they got Tiger on the front cover." He said, "That's that's not something you can control. Right. Why you don't right. worry about that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You worry about your picture will be on the cover if you win the event." Mm-hmm. And uh, just that was that Tiger effect. They didn't care who was leading or who, right. anything. It was all about Tiger. Mm-hmm. So, and, th- and that, that's kind of the Hogan effect back in the day, too. Yeah, I don't know if it's true or not, but I, I, I got to believe it's got to be true that, you know, Hogan's playing some event, and I can't remember who the player was with them. And, you know, where you, you come off the green, you go to the next tee, and you confirm with the player you're playing with because you're, you're keeping their score, what they had. And Hogan turns to whoever it was, he goes, so what would you have back there? He says, I had a one. I, <laughs> that story I can confirm? Yeah. Bill Campbell told me that story. Yeah. No lie. Bill Campbell out of uh, West Virginia, he was the only guy, he spoke to our Marshall golf team every year. He was the only guy to ever be the president of the USGA in the RNA. Yeah. And that was him who it happened to. Oh, it was. At the Masters, he had a one, and he said, I go to tee off on the next hole, and Mr. Hogan says, what'd you make back there? And he said, I had a one. And he said, okay, it's your tee. Wow. Not like no good shot or wow, wow. Re- crazy. I missed it. Bill Campbell. Right. Unbelievable. That I is crazy. Bill that's that's is great. Because he told that story, I want to say my junior or senior year, because I obviously asked, what were your runnings with Ms. Ben Hogan? And he said, I'll never forget this. And he said, that's why they called him the Hawk. Right. I mean, they just laser focus, focus on what he was doing. Yeah. Again, that ta- that conversation that we could go on for days with that. But tell us a little bit about your golf game. What golf game? <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, you've been playing. Have you, which course do you like more up here? Shepherd's, Mystic, or it doesn't matter. It's just really sad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I just get so immersed in the operation. You know, mm-hmm. I've I've gotten to the point in my golf career which i really like helping others and i need to help myself (laughs) uh and you know as you get older when i turned 50 it seemed like i lost 10 yards every year off the tee and there's something humbling about that and you know and i think about all the older pros i've known through the years and that you know you get to where yeah it's hard to say that your best golf's behind you, and I, mm-hmm. I was thinking about that for a while, but then, you know, when I was furloughed last year, had the opportunity when I was looking for the next opportunity, which turned out to be here, thankfully, I went out, because I was never a range guy mm-hmm. at all, so I went out to the range, started with wedges, and I started playing with some buddies of mine, and I got my game back a little bit. I had two pretty severe foot injuries where I'd have surgery, to where it was so bad that I thought I'd need to change careers and just have a sit-down job for a while. Mm-hmm. But through therapy and things like that, I got to work through all that. But, you know, as I'm a golfer like everybody else, through all that pain, I still wanted to go out and play. So yeah. I really learned to play. You know, we're sitting down now, and that's that was my visual, is I just swung my arms because mm-hmm. I couldn't really rotate. rotate. I couldn't use any of my legs at all because, you know, I'd, uh, just like you're getting stabbed going in the back, kind of a little stack and tilt, and then I blew out the other one four mm-hmm. years later, and so my game really, really suffered. My short game got good because you had to, but but even now, and that's been 12 years ago, I still 
because you know, you know, in, in golf, you either want to compensate or you're going to correct. Right. And more often than not, more people want to compensate because mm-hmm. it's just easier. Mm-hmm. And so I still, I know exactly what I need to do to hit it better, to hit it farther. But there's still a comfort level. Oh, I've always done it this way, and I can just hit this baby little thing out there, and I can find it again. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just like everybody else. But my enthusiasm for coming up here, not only, and I love both courses, and I love how different they are, mm-hmm. which really speaks to great design features. And it's great not only for our membership, but for all our guests to come play up here. Because the thing that makes me crazy is going to play a multi-course facility, and it feels the same. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that makes me crazy, too, is, you know, when you get on a course in par threes and I hit eight iron the last three par threes, I just, I like variety and like all that. Um, and one of the main reasons I love coming up here was, you know, Pennsylvania has more top 100 courses than any other state in the union. It's crazy. There's so much great golf up here that mm-hmm. I haven't played. I've only played Fox Chapel and I've played La Trobe with some friends when I come up here back in 2012. So, mm-hmm. well. You're missing my a lot mo- of them. My motivation to get better is like I want to go to Oakmont and just not be a train wreck. <laughs> right. You know, I, there's so many. I just want to enjoy all these places, look, going to Laurel and just not make a yeah, make a fool, total idiot out of mm-hmm. myself. Which is what we go been to the doing. shop after nine and buy more golf balls. <laughs> I know that that happens. Yeah. So in in this podcast here, Kelly, we have a segment of our show, uh, which is called the tap-in segment. We're going to roll into that tap-in segment right now, and Jonathan will ask you four or five questions that require your witty response. Well, I didn't know I needed to be ready for this. And got, homework. It's on the, you know, on the cuff, so to speak. So, so, we, so we got this first question from a mutual friend. Oh, no. Of ours. And, uh, you I know, Mr. Mr. Tom Smith. Oh, yeah. Uh, so is college... As inexpensive as you tell everyone. Was college what? Is college as inexpensive as you tell everyone for your girls? I don't say that it's (laughs) not inexpensive. (laughs) He said he he had mentioned how how expensive it is. I've got my youngest is at film school out in California her last year. And then my oldest, thankfully she got a job. She just finished at UVA Law. Oh, wow. Very MBA nice. Too, Charlottesville's so. beautiful. Like everybody says, and I agree, that my wife is really smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't get it from my side, but All she's right. my retirement, hopefully. Uh-huh. Well, let's get into the real stuff. After round cocktail. After round cocktail? Who's buying? <laughs> ba- bashes. Yeah, well, um, Absolutely. I really like Angel Envy mm. a lot. There you go. And I get a bottle of that every every birthday every in day. March. Three fingers of that, I'm I'm good. You like the rye? Yeah. The rye is awesome. Yeah, I love the rye. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one of my goals, you know, we talked about playing more, is um, two years ago before the show, I went to Stream Song. Mm-hmm. And part of my goals there was to survive. Cause, you, know, you, you, have, you, you have to walk. Yeah. So oh my, my God, assistant yeah. and I, we walked 30 holes that day. Hello. We did all the black, and, the, and it was a pretty cool loop. And then we did six on Doak and six on Cora Crenshaw. Mm. Cora and Crenshaw. Uh, I carried. You did it. And my greatest memory is sitting at the bar having three fingers of Angel Envy after that. Because <laughs> it was the coldest day they said, the coldest January day they've had in forever. It was blowing sideways about 30. Oh, man. And it was like 40 degrees. But, you know, we're golfers. We're going. We're going stream so We're playing. Absolutely. So it tasted good. It was so good. <laughs> and the golf was spectacular. And that's, a, that's an amazing place, too, because it's in the middle of nowhere. Right. Yeah. It's so cool. Favorite golf course? I know that's a loaded question, but it, when somebody says, what place is the hardest place to get on, and it was your favorite? Since I haven't played much, it for years it was Southern Hills because mm-hmm. I got to play it a few times and just that classic historic mm-hmm. place. But I but replaced is uh, and it's right down the road is Fox Chapel mm-hmm. because when I when I brought some members up here and we got to meet Arnold, it was an amazing trip because yeah. this guy's been a longtime fan, like so many people of Arnold Palmer's. But Arnold's birthday is September 10th, like my oldest son's 
September 10th. So I knew, and he's always in Latrobe during that time. So we got a house. It was in September. The weather was horrible. Wow. All week. It rained every day. But, you know, the first day we're having breakfast, couldn't have gone any better because Arnold walks in. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? And he said, it looks like rain, boys, but if you're not doing anything, why don't you come by my office this afternoon? And I was like. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Yeah. And it just, and we got to sit down in his office and talk to Arnold for 30 minutes. Just a normal guy. Yeah. That's awesome. There's another guy with big hands. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, those hands are huge. Yeah. And then, so, during that week, Oakmont was closed with temporaries. So, I never played so much golf in my rain suit in my life. And that's So, I should have been reminded of that when I got up here. But the only one afternoon, the sun came out, and it happened to be when we played Fox Chapel. Yeah, that's great. So, that happened, too. But I love Seth Rayner stuff, Mm too. I love love the green complexes. I love everything about it. And I played good. I shot 73 and cleaned their clocks. Hello. So that was good, too. So that's, that's I love my it. latest. But these two, I love what our superintendent, Chris Anderson, said. Because, you know, being here, working here, I'm like, well, where else should I go play? He goes, there's no reason to go play anywhere else. Yeah. Because we have the two best. I'm like, mm. Bingo. I get it. Yeah. I get yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, it's, they're, both, they're both awesome right now. So. Right. All right. And, and – Favorite piece of Ben Hogan memorabilia? Tough one. Mm. That I own? That you own. Yeah. It's probably because it's a picture that I hadn't seen, and it's the big one in my office that it's the guys that I took on the, the trip to Latrobe. They they bought it at Augusta, and wow. it's got him smiling, and he's sitting you know down with his clubs right here. I'd never seen that before, mm-hmm. and they gave it to me as a gift for that trip. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. I'm always trying to find pictures of Hogan smiling. Yeah. Just because of, you know, I defend him, mm-hmm. you know, to my grave all the time yep. about who he was. Mm-hmm. Right. And, it, and he would warm up to you. Mm-hmm. But you, you you look at those guys, and I think about all the modern players as well. Somebody always wanted something from him mm-hmm. because of his greatness. Well, he figured it out himself, and he basically told people, get on the range and figure out yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Because what he does, you know, based on the size of his hands, his strength, Mm -hmm. and, you know, what he did after the accident, it's not going to work for everybody else. Right. There's a lot of things within his book, fundamentals-wise, that can work, but you can't do what he did. Got to figure it out. Well, bud. Got to get in the dirt. And that's not chunking shots either, right? Or slicing, you know. The the more you hit, the more you practice, the luckier you get. Mm -hmm. Right. Mr. Ben Hogan. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, we appreciate the time you've given us today, Kelly. And we're here at Falling Rock in the men's locker room recording this podcast. Make sure you come up here and check out Nemecolon. Everything they have at golf courses is just a small fraction of the um, the place, really. It's been a pleasure. I hope there's a part two we're, and a part three. We will. Okay, good. Hey, Thank Kelly, you. thanks so much, guys. It's a pleasure. And uh, everybody get out there and chase some birdies. Let's go the first tee. Amen. Let's do it. All right. All right, my man. I mean, hey, Kelly got it done, man. The Hogan stories were epic, huh? He got it done, and uh, I wonder if old Kelly would snoop around Hogan's bag at all and has a few extra clubs for me to take. But, um, well, we already saw stories. Yeah, bud. All right. We already saw you hit a persimmon, all right? I mean, you hit it further than everyone, so, yeah. Well, yeah. practice, play better, right? I don't know what else to tell you. Thank you again to Kelly O'Donnell for coming on. I mean, the stories are awesome. Uh, uh-huh. And again, to be around that much history every day with. Mr. Ben Hogan is uh, pretty special. and Kelly, you know, he, he's ready to come back for more. He wants to come back for another episode two, episode three. Well, my man Kelly, we could probably have like a 24-hour episode going with him. <laughs> he's got a lot of stories, that's for sure, but they're good stories. They're enjoyable. And thank you again to Kelly O'Donnell. We, we greatly appreciated the, the time and... Uh, your episode came out, bud. You didn't think it was going to come out. It's out. Yeah, he kept saying, all right, you guys just put me to the back burner. But no, no, no. We just had this little chronological order thing going on. So thank you, Kelly. And uh, guys, we're going to be dropping an episode a little off schedule uh, due to the Thanksgiving holiday. So instead of Thursday the 25th, 
We're going to move it up a day to Wednesday the 24th. And you want to tell them who we got coming on? Yeah, November 24th, we have Matt Stell, country singer, songwriter. He's doing it all. And uh, I'll tell you this much. The guy's not short at all. Oh, really? I don't know if some of you have seen the photos, but Bash Hour looks like an arm rest to him. So that's nice. Uh, um, but got a couple hits out. Uh, just just launched a few songs, too. So the guy's rolling. He's traveling all over the country singing some songs, bringing music to your ears while we're bringing podcasts to your ears. And uh, we can't wait for you to hear this one because, again, to hear from a country music star's perspective of how bringing the song to all your ears is, is really cool. And, and then we get into the golf, and, and I mean, this guy's got to have custom golf clubs, right? Well, now with the new driver rule in place, uh, that's definitely not playing in his favor. Oh, show. But, mm-hmm. And trust me, all the ladies I'm sure have heard Matt Stell's song, I Pray For You. And if you haven't, go listen to it. And you've heard it on the radio. Yeah. So we can't wait to bring this to you guys. Yeah, you guys uh, stay tuned. We got some, some new, new merch coming out here soon on chasingbirdies.co. Oh, yeah. How good is that? Yeah. We got three different items from Holderness and Boring coming on. We got women's t shirts, a men's t shirt, a hoodie. Yeah, and we got six new items coming to your phone that you can order just in time for Black Friday that you can buy your husband, your wife, your girlfriend some merch for the holidays to, to lounge around in. Watch football, watch basketball, hockey. So make sure you go check it out. I'd wear all all six, uh, even the yeah, ladies' tee. But I mean, that thing is smoking. So, ladies yeah. out there, be on the lookout. We need to get you in some of the swag, pushing this brand a little bit. The brand, Jason Birdies. Mm-hmm. We appreciate all the love. You know, again, thank you for listening to this episode with Kelly O'Donnell. Stay tuned on the 24th of November with Matt Stale. Man, thank you again to everybody for listening to it. And keep telling your friends. It's grown like crazy. Uh, ChasingBirdies.co for the merch. Uh, Chasing underscore birdies for Instagram. Facebook, like it. And other than that, just see it high, let it fly, and live life. Amen, boys. Hey, y'all have a great evening, great day, great rest of your weekend or week. And uh, thank you to Simpler Media for putting this together and Rachel London for all her social work she's done for us thus far. So y'all have a good day.